Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview analysts or experts on a single stock to help listeners understand the ins and outs of the business and its potential as an investment. Today we have on Bill Mann. He's the director of small cap research at The Motley Fool. And we discuss Markel, which is a bit of a, I guess you could call it a conglomerate, but really has its roots in the insurance, the insurance industry. What did you like about the interview? I liked talking about their different insurance initiatives that they're going through. They have a lot, it's not just standard insurance. They got a lot of different things. So Bill explained what they're trying to do, how they're trying to grow their business, what the companies they've acquired are, and then going through the strategy with Markel Ventures and how it all fits together with the flow from the insurance, how they're using it to buy operating companies, similar to the Berkshire Hathaway model, but smaller. And there are some nuances to it. Yeah. Yeah. I do. It gets the Berkshire comparison all the time. And so I think listening to Bill, you can understand why. Uh, but before we get to the interview, we want to talk about our sponsor for the episode. It's Quarter. They are an investor relations app for your phone. So basically you've got frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, con- or conference call transcripts, and earnings reports from companies all around the world. It's totally free. I am a I'd call it weekly active user. I use it for conference calls while I'm driving. It's an easy way to listen, especially for companies you're familiar with, or if there aren't any other transcripts, it's an easy place to get them. They've got it up and they've usually got the transcripts transcripts up pretty quick. And so I really recommend downloading it. Um, you can also request companies if they don't have them. I think they pretty much have everyone I've looked for lately. Um, so, so it's a very extensive library and it's Q-U-A-R-T-R. There's no E at the end there. So Q-U-A-R-T-R. They're on Twitter. You can find them on the app store or you can find them online. So go ahead, check them out. Reminder, it's quarter Q-U-A-R-T-R. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, today we are welcomed by Bill Mann. He is the director of small cap research at the Motley Fool. He's held various titles at the Motley Fool. Let's before we get we're talking about Markel today, but before we get into that, for anyone that doesn't know Bill Mann, kind of give us the thumbnails of your career. You've been at the Motley Fool for a long time. Kind of when when was the start of that, and how what else what else do should listeners know about Bill Mann? That's a super nice way of you to describe me as being 364 years old, first of all. <laughs> so how you guys doing? Pretty doing good. good. Doing yeah. good, yeah. Excited. Great, great. So uh, I probably the, 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 the arc of my life is uh, I've been at the Motley Fool since uh, 1999. Prior to that, I was in uh, telecommunications. I was a partner in a, in a, in a little telecom firm um, that was providing back office surf, uh, services to a lot of the big carriers. And so by back office, I meant, I mean, we were helping them set up networks in the garden spots the world. So I was working in Lagos, Nigeria and Karachi, Pakistan. Um, you know, I was in, in Beijing in 1996, uh, Jakarta, places like that. So uh, when, when you're working in places like that, uh, a lot of times when you get into the hotel in the, you know, in, in the evening after a long day, you're not like, Hey, I'm going to go catch out, go catch a movie. You're in Karachi. Right. So, uh, so I was goofing off on the full message boards. That, that, that was basically what I was doing to entertain myself. I was doing mergers and acquisitions work in telecom, but, uh, I didn't love it. I didn't love the industry, but I loved I loved the the, the, the essence of the Motley Fool, the thought that that you are that any person is able to manage their own money that uh, you know th- that being a long-term investor is the best way to go about as an individual investor of generating uh, long-term wealth. And so I got the opportunity to uh, to 
uh, come and work for the Motley Fool in 1999, and I jumped at it. And I've done a number of things for the Fool. Uh, I worked really with Tom Gardner for most of my time at the Fool. I would describe myself as not a traditional value investor. I mean, whenever you hear someone say value investor, you know, you think almost instantly to like, okay, they're you know they're analyzing like rock companies or you know yeah. or cigar butts, cigar nuts. butts, that type of thing. I you know I I view all investing that isn't momentum investing as some form of value, right? You're just looking you're looking for anything where you have the opportunity to generate super normal returns over a longer period of time. So that's that's me ish. And here I am talking to you guys and hope you're doing great. And where in that progression at the Molly Fool or in your career, did you come across Markel? How did you come across it? What was sort of the, the, the first time? So it's funny. So a lot of people think of Markel. So Markel's based in uh, Richmond, Virginia, um, $17 billion market cap company. And it's and a lot of people describe it as being a baby Berkshire. And whenever I hear someone describe something as, hey, this is the next X. Hey, this is, you know, this company is going to disrupt Disney. I'm instantly much more interested in Disney. Right. So when there are a lot of companies that sort of take on that mantle of having the next Buffett or being the next Berkshire Hathaway, um, you know, I tend to run as fast as I can away from, you know, from uh, those companies and towards the companies they're being compared to. In this case, I actually came across Markel through an analysis of Berkshire Hathaway uh, in a kind of an indirect, indirect way. There was a guy at uh, who had been at Berkshire for a number of years named Jack Byrne. And Jack Byrne had, had run the risk side of Geico for a bunch of years. And um, he's the father of Patrick Byrne, who's the CEO of Overstock. He's a uh, Jack Byrne passed away uh, about a decade ago. He's a tremendously talented guy, but he left Berkshire and he went on to run a smaller uh, catastrophe insurance company called White Mountains Insurance. And they, in turn, owned part of a reinsurer called Montpelier Re. And so I was talking to the CEO of Montpelier Re and I was talking with them about their linkage to Berkshire because, I, you know, to me as an outsider, I was like, OK. Buffett owns part, you know, Berkshire owns part of White Mountains. White Mountains owns a big part of uh, of, of Montpelier Re. So obviously there's a flow through. And he looked at me like, we don't have anything to do with Berkshire. Uh, but if you are interested in Berkshire, you should talk to these guys over at Markle. You, Markel, you should look and see what they were doing. So it was actually a linkage directly from Montpelier Re uh, that had me doing that. And the super interesting thing about, about this to me was this was early in 2005 and 2005 became a real watershed year for insurance companies uh, because that that was the year that we had the KRW hurricanes. It was Katrina and then Rita and Wilma and Katrina is the one that people know most intimately. Um, And then after that, you watch the companies within the insurance industry that held on the best you know that were that were immediately pricing risk and at the top of the list was Markel. So that was basically that was basically it. I don't know if you guys just asked me a 5 second question I went on for 16 minutes. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, it leads I right mean, into the next one, right? right. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Good, good. I guess what uh for anyone that doesn't know what is Markel and what's allowed it to be such a great performer over the years. I think I think it's more than a hundred bagger. It's a hundred bagger. Just, it just crossed actually. I was checking out the long-term chart for research in this show. It's just crossed the 10,000% uh, all-time yeah. return. So. so that's pretty good. Yeah. That's not right. bad. Yeah. Not bad. That's not bad. I would take that, that's not bad. So um, I don't know if I should talk a little bit about the structure of insurance in general first, but, but insurance, insurance is an industry uh, has a, has a number of different layers, but the basic the basic insurance company model, uh, you find success as companies that have capital, they have incentives, uh, and they have a culture that are that 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 are aligned with each other. And there are very few companies that I've seen that are better than Markel at 
at solidifying those those things, which is why they've been able to generate returns like they have over a long period of time. The company's actually been around since the 1930s. In 1930, um, his first name? Sam. Sam. Thank you. It was Sam. I I, I heard this story from a Tom Gainer interview recently, and it's- Yeah, Sam, yes. Yeah. So he started, he was, uh, he was in Norfolk, Virginia, and he began uh, writing insurance for jitneys, which at the time were these, you know, were, were, were these uh, probably tremendously dangerous, somewhat, uh, uh, somewhat not official ways that a lot of people got transported at the time. You move, you know, locally uh, from city to city, you'd use these jitneys. And so they couldn't get insurance from anybody else. So he started writing insurance for them and then moved into trucking, which is another area in which none of the big installed insurers were writing policies at all. So this began a theme and it became known as the Mark Hellway and it has been entrenched is is that their basic their basic strategy is to write policies, write insurance for parts of the market that are hard to price, where there's not much competition and where there are potential for huge losses, which Sounds a little bit off, but I mean, that's what insurance companies do. I mean, they are insurance companies are a bet against misery, a bet against bad things happening. All right. And that leads us to the next segment here. There are three different parts of Markel's business that they outline insurance, investments, and Markel Ventures. We're going to hit all three. First, let's just finish up on insurance. I think you already described what a specialty insurer is, but specifically for anyone looking at Markel, uh, what are the key metrics to track? And they recently talked about this ILS thing. I don't know if you yeah. want to hit on that as well, because that was a big thing in their annual letter. It was a big thing in their annual letter. And so maybe yeah, I started to talk about the structure of insurance companies uh, before, but uh, you know, this gives a little bit of a sense of who, of who Markel is. Markel specifically writes uh, liability insurance, you know, so you know, uh, excess loss, uh, they're writing insurance against, you know, against, against catastrophes from small to massive. And, uh, the way insurance companies work is that you've got, you've got the, the mainline insurance companies, but then insurance companies, because they are worried or they need to consider what their, um, what their exposure is in a larger basis. Let's just say, you know, let's just say, Things that they didn't think were correlated are, you know, suddenly correlate to one because of some big event. Uh, they will have a reinsurers, and then the reinsurers will have a separate, uh, uh, you know, a separate, uh, you know, a, a separate reinsurer for the reinsurers called retrocessionaires. And the retrocessionaires take in a lot of money, expecting never, ever, ever to pay out anything because they're, you know, the, you have to get to like $25 billion in single, you know, a single event loss before the retrocessionaire will pay, but then they'll pay, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90% above that. The KRW, the 2005 event really changed part of the, the, the catastrophe industry for insurers because the retrocessionaires failed. Uh, one, uh, you know, one in particular was a company called PXRE. It was a, you know, it was based in Hamilton in Bermuda. And they just simply weren't prepared for the amount of capital that they were going to have to pay out based on these events hitting one after another after another, and the, you know, the 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 amount of losses that they that that they had to take on. So that's that's a little bit of a primer of the uh, of, of of the insurance industry. Now, anybody who's in this segment right now is like. Uh, this cat doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm trying to make this simple, you know, so we can, you know, to to give an understanding of the basic structure. So, um, one thing that that uh, that Markel started doing after they, uh, you know. At, after really 2005, but they've really gotten into it starting in about 2017, where something called insurance-linked securities. The ones that are most well known are called catastrophe bonds. But you know, so a catastrophe bond basically is, uh, you know, it is is I as a financial investor will come in and I will buy a bond against a catastrophe happening. 
right? So basically, it's you know, ba- basically, it's a way of financializing an event that has not yet happened. So, so, so if you buy, you're betting it's not going to happen. You could go either way, actually. Okay, you can. Okay. You can actually go either way, right? Like it, you know, it, it, it's 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 almost like you know, it's almost like you're walking into the horse track, right? And you know, and in, in the first race, there's tornado in Kansas, you know, and you know, and so you, so what ends up happening is that it creates a lot of it 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 creates a lot of excess capital. Um, uh, excuse me. Let me let me let me let me rephrase that. It it it, it creates uh, a way for insurance companies uh, to lay off a little bit more of the risk, right? So uh, so so they get the capital in for you know for for the bonds that they've sold, and it allows you know it it, it allows that risk to be spread out amongst financial investors. So uh, they figured out, uh, Markel figured out that uh, you know that that this was a pretty good business for them and that they felt like they were they, they were going to have the capacity to write insurance linked securities in a way that didn't really create that that created a lower level of overall risk for them while they're collecting premium and so that you know so they they have done a couple of things one is that they've they've created kind of a marketplace for you know for for, for ILS um, and and then also the, you know they are the, the, you know they're, they're they're writing the policies so it's like securitizing their liabilities in a sense and other people's exactly. right? yeah. yeah but not just theirs right it's not just theirs they 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 they've turned it into a bit of a of a clearinghouse where uh you know it's it, it's not just their uh policies it's for you credentials to advance confidence to stand out in your career at regent university you'll join more than 30,000 world changers making a difference in high demand fields Pursue your bachelor's, master's, or doctorate online or on campus in Virginia Beach. Your degree from top-ranked Regent University is waiting. So is the world you will elevate. Say yes to your purpose and position yourself for a brighter future. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Regent.edu slash learn more. So how meaningful is that ILS segment for Markel? And then a second question, who, who are buying these bonds? I can't imagine that it's like, like an individual investor. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's all it, 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 it'll, it'll be financial investors. So, um, so Markel is excited enough about the business that they've gone out and they've bought, they've actually bought in 2019, I believe they bought a, uh, an ILS fund manager, uh, called Nafila capital capital. So, uh, they, they, Markel believes that this is a going to be a really, really, really important business for them. Um, you know, they, they had revenues of, you know, $92 million in 2018. They believe it's going to be much, much, much bigger for them. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a different, it's, it's in some ways you're talking about something that is a perfect Markel business. This is hard to do. It's hard to, it's hard to price these bonds in, you know, in, in, in a way, or these securities, I should say, uh, in a way that you're not creating additional, you know, too much risk on one side or the other. And so it's, it's uh, this is a multi-year um, process for them. And they've taken it pretty slow, but they think that this is going to be a massive, massive business for them. And they want to be one of the leaders. When did you say they started doing this? They had, uh, they, they, they acquired um, a company called state national companies in 2017. And so that was, that was kind of the beginning of it. Okay. And can they securitize anything like, like pretty much anything they're insuring or is there like, like, I guess like, is Are you that about regulations or? Yeah, I'm. I'm just trying yeah, to. Yeah, like, does ILS um, apply to all the industries? Like, like, like almost everything else in 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 uh, the financial world, and insurance companies are very much. You should think of them first and foremost as financial companies. Uh, I mean, that's pretty pretty heavily regulated, but the you know, but so I, I, they're. They want to broaden the types of risks that they're that they're underwriting uh, with 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 uh, with ILS capital, but 
I don't think that they're going to make a single step until they feel like they've got the knowledge base to do so. I mean, I, and I, and I say that not having, not having really talked with them about this, but that's, that, that, that's been the Markel way that's been their process. Yeah. That moves slow to move fast. That's move kind of slow, exactly. They are not a move fast and break things uh, business uh, in, you know, in, in the financial industry that could end up breaking, you know, your entire balance sheet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing in financials. So with that, so with that float that they generate from their insurance business, I, they're, they're using that to, I guess, reinvest in different areas, investment, or they call it investments, but their investment portfolio being one of them, it it looks like they're required to file a 13 F. So I kind of looked on the holdings. Yeah. First, first of all, what do you think of the, their investment portfolio broadly? And then when I, when I see them owning Berkshire, it feels like this conglomerate inception. Like does it, feel <laughs> self, it feels like weird to own like another conglomerate. Does that make sense at all? Uh, it totally does. Exactly. It, 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 it really does not just, not just a conglomerate, but that it is on some levels on a lot of levels, a competitor. Right. right. With, I mean, with, uh, so, with, uh, that's like kind of the agi Jane stuff or no. Or am I correct on there? Like that exactly. sort of like, okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I would say anywhere within with anywhere within the financialization of insurance, you can assume that, 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 that Berkshire is, uh, is participating or sniffing around, okay. uh, you know, they're, they're, they, there almost isn't a type of insurance that, uh, that some entity at Berkshire doesn't provide. Um, so, I want to back up and make sure when we talked earlier, I, 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 I mentioned that when you describe Markel as a baby Berkshire, um, this discussion is exactly why. Most insurance companies have a philosophy that they are going to get their risk on the insurance side. Right, that that their that their risk is. I'm going to write policies, and we're going to you know we're going to try and eke out a you know we're going to try and eke out a profit or a, a break even on the policies. But the money that's sitting in our in in our accounts that are other people's money, which is called the float, we're going to use that, and we're going to invest in treasuries. We're going to invest in fixed income. Berkshire Hathaway sort of broke this model. There are a couple of others, Fairfax Financial being one, but Markel, I think, is the other real practitioner where they take that float and they 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 invest it in much more risk assets. And it makes them it makes them an entirely different beast from 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 most insurance companies because they are taking on not just more risk and I, you know, the risk of a permanent loss of capital, but also the risk of, of volatility, right? They know in an annual basis that they're going to need somewhere, you know, X amount of capital to pay out in the form of claims, but they're also saying over time, we are not so worried about, we are, we are not so worried about the volatility of the assets we hold. We believe that the assets are going to provide more of a return over time. So we are willing to take that risk. And that makes them very different from almost every other insurance company. Okay. And that leads right into Marco Ventures, but I want a quick question here. Um, this might just be a tiny one, but it, are rising interest rates bad or good for them for the investment portfolio? Because I think there's a lot of give and takes. If they have some of that fixed income, you know, if they're, if they're buying more of that now, that could be beneficial. But I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that of whether it's good or bad for kind of their easy investment returns for owning fixed income. So, um, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious that because because stocks in general are valued on their future cash flows, that higher interest rates make future cash flows worth less. So in the last in the last three months, uh, they um, Markel had a three hundred and fifty eight million dollar loss. What the you know the line item the account is called investment gains so investment losses they had three hundred fifty eight million dollars in investment losses which was basically just the change in the value of their portfolio like they don't they don't have to they don't have to take money out of the account that's not being spent it's just it's just a loss because this is considered part 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 of their operation so obviously on that on 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 that regard 
having higher insurance, having higher interest rates creates a little bit of a drag on their, you know, on, on, on their portfolio. So it, it's a little bit of a, it, it's, it's a little bit of a give and take. They do have another component of their portfolio that is a lot of fixed income and uh, they will be able to gen- generate higher, uh, higher nominal returns there. So it balances out somewhat. Gotcha. All right, let's move to the third one. That's Markel Ventures. This is another way, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that they're generating cash to, you know, make their uh, just their overall balance sheet less risky. Um, there's a lot of different companies here. Is there a specific strategy on what they're buying, or is it just you know we see good value, we're going to go after it? I think it's a little bit of that. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I, 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 I don't want to dumb it down too much, but they are looking for companies that have some form of edge, be it local. And if you look at the companies in their portfolio, it really does look like Berkshire, you know, Berkshire Light. So Berkshire has, uh, has Acme Brick, uh, you know, um, Markel Ventures has Havco, which is a, you know, which is a flooring company. You know, they've got a dredging company. They've got home builders. They've got building products. They've got a handbag company called Brahmin. I saw um, concrete as well. Exactly. Yes, concrete as well. Exactly. Exactly. Lift cranes. So, uh, you know, try to, try to, try to contain your excitement. Right. <laughs> right. Like you're not talking about you're 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 not talking about super cutting edge, but these, these these businesses have some form of either geographic or branding or some other competitive advantage that uh, that Tom Gaynor and his team and the team adventures have 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 determined that makes them worthy of investment at at the prices as you know at, at which they've invested in them. And these are by and large wholly owned companies. So what's happening is that, you know, is that a company like Brahmin, which is a handbag manufacturer based just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, they've been around, you know, they've been around for, this is their 40th anniversary. So not a fly by night brand. And so what Brahmin has, what they get from the, you know, from, from, from the equation is that they get, you know, a payoff in terms of, you know, having the company be, you know, be bought by Markel. Then they also have access to financing based off of Markel's balance sheet instead of their own. So if they want to expand, if they want to modernize, they are, you know, they have a a pretty uh, stable source of funding and the Markel Venture people aren't standing over them going, you know, what happened? What's going on? Why, why, why are you down? Why are sales down? You know, they're just letting them conduct their business. So they want to be a, they, they want to be a, um, a buyer of first resort for companies of this size of this type. And so that's, that's, that's what they've done. And that's what ventures is all about. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Okay, uh, and that... The competition with private equity kind of, uh, this is not a question we had written down. Given that uh, there's, I don't know, this is a, some people are forecasting that the private equity firms are going to have a little bit of a tougher time given their leverage and all that good stuff during this bear market with rising interest rates. Does that give Markel maybe more opportunities over the next five years? Maybe. Maybe, uh, you know, I would put the, I, I would say, I don't know if you guys have ever spent any time looking at uh, Constellation software, but I would put Markel's, I would put Markel's philosophy very similar to what Constellation software is. It was a fascinating company. The, the, you know, the, the CEO is a man named Mark Leonard. And Gandalf, Gandalf they, 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 call him. <laughs> what's that? I said Gandalf. Yeah. Gandalf. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, you know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Um, they're not really competing with private equity. They they they, they are of course in the, in the same neighborhood, and so the fact that the the fact that 
um, there's a little bit more scarcity of money out there looking for companies right now might be a good thing for them. But at the same time, Markel isn't looking to go in and become a, you know, become a financial investor of these companies and then send their army of, you know, of their army of McKinsey consultants in to, you know, to figure out how to strip out. Do we need cheaper bananas in the break room? Can we fire half the people? They are allowing these companies to operate almost unmolested by by corporate and for a for a an entrepreneur who has built a company and it's his or her baby that there's something attractive about that as opposed to as as opposed to completely maximizing something that you know that you will completely lose control over and that the buyers are looking to maximize every penny of return, they, in, a, in effect, are willing to leave a little bit of that return on the table in order to have a company that they still get to operate without, without much in the way of input from a corporate headquarters and have access to the balance sheet. They have, they have complete complete is overstating if a company really really screws up they're not going to have complete autonomy but they have they have a they have an autonomy because markel takes on a decentralized approach it's funny like you hear markel ventures and he kind of wince because it sounds like oh they they must they're running a venture capital arm right but it's, right it's, opposite. it's yeah right. it exactly like, it sounds oh, like oh, bait right it's <laughs> it, it, it Right. It sounds like it, it sounds like Warburg Bankers and or Bain and not to not yeah. to talk crap about either of them because, you know, they've got pretty big wallets, but it is an entirely different philosophy. So I would dare say that at the margin and, and it's important to note, Mark Hell, it's not like they own 630 companies. I mean, it's a, it's it's a pretty small roster. And so they have. They've been very choosy and very patient with the companies that they've bought. So it might make it it might make it a little bit better for them. You know, the, it might push some, you know, push some operators who maybe wanted to, you know, wanted to hold on for a couple of more years to say, you know, for a, for a lifestyle, I sure would like to have my life's work uh you know, valued by someone else, but I don't really want to have to worry about looking for bank lines of credit anymore. And that's what's so attractive about this model for 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 the the selling operators. Gotcha. Do they, oh, go ahead, do they prioritize allocating capital to any one of these three segments specifically, or is it kind of just a broad based approach? It's kind of a broad based approach. It, it, they, they actually have uh, every 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 tub has its own bottom approach. I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of crossover, but what they will find, I mean, think about, you know, we, we, we just talked about the insurance linked, sec the, the insurance linked uh, securities segment where they've gone out and bought companies. That's where they've been allocating capital, but you know, they, they are absolutely willing to move from one place to the, you know, to, to, to the other gotcha. to allocate and, capital uh, where they see best. Right. Okay. And, to sum things up on the business, and then we're going to move out and close things out with valuation and management. Gross written premiums and operating revenues are both up around 3x since 2013. They have pretty steady growth, at least generally, over five-year gotcha. periods in the annual letter from the tables I was looking at. What has enabled this growth? And maybe to add on, how do they do that over the next, say, 10 years? Some of it has been purchases of other of of of, of other insurance companies. You know, in, in 2013, they bought a uh, you know an, another insurance company called Altera, and it was a point in time in which people people hated the transaction and the stock got absolutely walloped. And you know, I and I just had an opportunity to talk with Tom Gaynor. He goes and he said, he said, did people think we got stupid all of a sudden? I mean, did we, you know, have we, have we, have we made all the right moves? And then suddenly yesterday I decided to become an idiot. So I, I, I don't think so. So a lot of it for them has been bolting on additional insurance companies, additional lines. I know in ILS, we talked earlier, they're looking to do, they're, they're looking to a lot to, 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 to do a lot more. They are, uh, when, when, when we talked about at the beginning, we talked about incentives and it's one of the most important things to understand about insurance companies in general, because insurance companies are driven by sales, you know, same as, same as anything else. You've got someone out there who's writing policies. 
If you have your incentives screwed up for your sales staff, you could incentivize them to go and sell as much as possible without any real responsibility for worrying about whether it's a well-written policy or worrying about whether you are taking on too much risk. So if we are in an environment in which pricing for, for the lines of insurance that Markel is in, and it's a lot of them at this point, are are, are soft, they're going to write a lot. They will they will write a lot of insurance of, of, of policies, and you'll see the policies in force explode. But if it's a hard market where you see money flowing in and trying to and 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 trying to write policies, and it becomes very very competitive, they actually create incentives for their for their salespeople to sit on their hands a little bit, and that's a really hard thing to 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 do because. You know, if you're in sales, you would like to get paid. And the primary way of getting paid is selling stuff. So I, you know, I I I think it's it's the exact right philosophy that you want this company to be substantially larger five years from now. But if it if it turns out that we've gone through an incredibly hard market where, you know, so for example, hedge funds just plow money into in into writing um reinsurance, which actually happened after 2005 they'll sit on their hands a little bit more and maybe look more towards building through venture and, uh, you know, and, and, and things of that nature. Gotcha. They've, they've been compared to Berkshire Hathaway a lot. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the valid similarities? And then what do you think are the differences? Well, so uh, the differences I think is, I, I, I think it is a very similar uh, it's a, it's a it's a very similar model. Uh, if 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 you think about how Berkshire uh, formed, it is it 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 was um, Warren Buffett and then Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, and they almost had no real accountability to anybody else, which sounds awful, right? Red flag at the start. Yeah, awful. yeah, it <laughs> sounds awful. Right. The board, the board very early on just said, okay, just, just do We, we, we trust you. We've in talked about of, it before. And we're yeah. like, if we saw Berkshire in like the eighties, we'd be like, this well, 70s, 70s, or right? 70s, 70s. We'd be like, this is a corporate governance mess. Like it's a mess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, we can't invest in this. <laughs> That's right. That's right. His son's on the board. Right. Like, come on. Red flags so, everywhere. But. So, so now that I have, now that I've, I have indicted this model thoroughly, uh, Markel's a family-run business, right? Like, so it was started by Sam and then his four sons. Steve Markel was the CEO for for a number of years. Two Markels are on the board now. Tom Gaynor has been there since 1990. Uh, I think 1990. Yeah, 1990. Exactly. Um, there, you know, it is it is deeply a you know a a, a a family-run organization. Um, Richard Witt, who's the co-CEO, took over in 2016, and he's more on the you know he he's more on the insurance side. He's also a director. He's been at the company since uh, since you know since the 1990s as well. I mean, they, this is a company that has engendered a long-term uh, loyalty amongst its. You know, amongst its executives and staff, and when you think about that, when you start to think about the, you know, the the, the names who are like the the second order names at Berkshire Hathaway, it's the same. You, you we mentioned Ajit Jain earlier. Uh, there was Tony Nicely, uh, you know, and Lou Simpson, and these are people who could have gone off and done something else, but they, you know, but they stayed within the family. So very much the same. The difference between Markel and uh, and and Berkshire, I would say, number one, uh, Tom Gaynor would Tom Gaynor would strangle you if you said, "Hey, he is their Warren Buffett." I happen to think that Tom Gaynor is a is a generational talent, but Warren Buffett is a millennial talent, right? And that's just you know, I that's that is not in any way denigrating the you know the 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 talents of Tom by say, by by saying that. But the other thing that I think is interesting, why Markel remains interesting to me, uh, you know, is 
Warren Buffett has often said that there is no advantage in investing like having a, a you know a a lower amount of money. You know right. that having having a huge pile of money becomes by itself an, an impediment to investing returns. In Markel and in Tom Gainer and in Markel Ventures uh, and in, in their investment portfolio, you are looking at a company and you are looking at a person who has the flexibility of a smaller pool of money. And to me, that's that's what people who have invested in Berkshire after, say, two th- the year 2000 have missed out on. Right. And uh, an example of that, a company that we actually covered recently is Haggerty. Yeah. Um, that seems very like Berkshire-esque. It would be meaningless to them. But for Markel, uh, I know the SPAC stuff, it's kind of weird how they're valuing it on the balance sheet. Uh, yeah. It seems yeah. super meaningful for them. And they got to scoop that up. While if Buffett saw that business, he probably would have identified the same sort of you know long-term opportunity. But Markel is the only right. one that could make it meaningful. No, exactly. And that's and 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 that's such an important it's it's such an important thing. Like I don't think that I don't think that the Warren Buffett of you know of 1985, not that this is going to make any sense whatsoever, would have invested in 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 the Apple of that time. Right. Apple was a fat pitch for 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 Berkshire Hathaway, but it was also a place where they could deploy enough capital where it matters. Haggerty, and I have no idea whether Buffett saw it or not, would not have moved the needle under any circumstances for them. So I think he would have loved to collect it, but it's the kind of thing that 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 means so much more within you know within the auspices of Markel than it would at Berkshire. All right, and oh, go right. They're also kind of in the sweet spot right now where they're large enough to be able to do the deals they want and have it in, like actually have a meaningful impact at the same time. Yeah, I think that I I, I think that they're of of a size where they are a meaningful player in whatever in whatever deals they might want to go after. Uh, and I think you can see this expressed in we talked a little bit about the holdings in uh, in their investment portfolio, but the largest holdings in their portfolio are Google, Amazon, Berkshire, and. Brookfield Asset Management. These are big, big, big companies. So I think that they are expressing themselves through venture, you know, you know, as 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 far as as far as that goes. They own a huge amount of, you know, they own big, big companies uh, within the investment portfolio. Right. It's almost like they're not. It's not exactly like this, but it's almost like they're just trying to index and get that uh, the alpha is almost the the float, you know, dynamics plus the Markel Ventures that sort of engine. All right, let's move to valuation. It's a tough one for Markel. And I think for anyone that's not really, really in the weeds here, you're like, okay, well, how do I even look at this thing? Um, How do you go about valuing a company like this, a complicated conglomerate? Is it just book value per share? What do you do? It's pretty much just book value. And I think with any financial company, really the limit that you're going to you, you would want to put on them is you want to buy, try and buy them for around 1.2 times tangible tangible book value. Now, Markel is currently trading at about 1.9 times marginal uh, tangible book value, which break out my calculator is more. That's more than 1.2 times. The difference I would think that you would, you know, for a reason why I would still be willing to be a buyer and a holder of Markel at a much higher book value rate is one, because of their, you know, because of their capacity to take on risk on on the investing side. And two, because their insurance, their their insurance results are unbelievable. So um there's an insurance term called uh, called the combined ratio, and so a, a combined ratio is essentially uh, how much a company is, you know, how much the company is earning from their insurance, you know, from 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 their insurance uh, activities. So their combined ratio this last uh, th- th- this last um, quarter was eighty nine. So 100 means that all you know so 100 means that all of your earned premium is taken up by incurred losses and expenses. 89 means that you got an operating margin of 11%. Right? You can look at some you could look at some other insurance companies and you'll see you'll see combined ratios of 
120, 130, which means, and they're done you know, on a short-term basis. So it means that they're losing a lot of money. I actually think that Markel, with a, with a combined ratio that ranges between 89 and, say, 96, could take on more insurance risk and still be a very profitable company. Right. And when that's because of the investments, right? The investment portfolio. A little bit of both. Okay. But if you if 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 you think about if you think about right, like so there's a limit at which it, there there's a limit at which margin become becomes great if you are failing to if you are choosing not to underwrite insurance policies that would be profitable, right? Like if you've got an 89%, uh, if you've got an 89% combined ratio and you have a policy that comes down the pike and it is massive, but you, but, but you think, well, that, you know, I think we'll make 5%, which the reciprocal of that would be a 95% combined ratio. Would you write that policy all day long? Right. Do you all think day that's, long. Do you think that's more the nature of what they're insuring yeah. or the fact that they like want to just keep a certain level of margin. I think it's a little bit of both. And that's a, and, 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 and that's a good subtle question. I think it's a little bit of both, but it is, it is, it is entirely why I think that you can, you, you can be a little bit more libertine with your valuation of Markel than you might want to be with an insurance company that does not, you know, that has combined ratios that are closer to the line uh, and don't, yeah, and, and and don't have the same risk profile on their book side. Well, the, uh, and I mentioned Haggerty again. That's it's totally miss the it's not represented in the shareholders' equity right now properly. Yeah. So there's also yeah. that. Yeah, that and that's exactly true, right? You know that. The way the way gap accounting works, and I know this is going to you know lose every single every single viewer <laughs> and listener that you have, so I apologize for this, but it it does not necessarily do a great job at uh, at properly valuing assets, and so therefore the tangible book value may be deeply understated. You know, for companies that like, for example, buy companies and buy assets and hold on to them for forty and fifty years. Okay, we've got two more questions. I know we're running a little long, so I'll try to make them quick. But I, w- I want to talk about management. You've uh, you've been to the Markel brunch. Mm-hmm. You you know Tom. What do you think of the management team over there? And then I'll throw another kind of random one in there. Your friend Morgan Housel is now on the board. Yeah. What do you think of that addition? What do you think he brings <laughs> to the company? Oh, he brings nothing to the company. No. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan? No. Uh, yeah. So, um, so first of all, I think it's really important that, uh, to, to to look at the dichotomy of what the dichotomy of what Markel is. It's a family-run business, uh, so you know, but it has also done a really good job at adding professional support at every level that they need. So. Uh, I'll try and say this without, in, you know, with, with, without insulting anyone either by name or by, by by grouping. But they've gotten to the point now where the Markel way and the Markel philosophy is more important than almost any one of their actual managers. So um, Tom Gaynor, you know, he's been there for for thirty two years. He's, you know, he, it's it's as if he's a member of 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 the Markel family at this point. The way that he goes about things, I think, is you know, is 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 mutually reinforcing with the way itself. Now, the fact that uh, that 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 the company has co-CEOs, neither of whom are named uh, Markel at this point, this is this is this is a different point in time, right? Than than it has been at an entirety in the in in the company's history. So these are the kinds of things that you know where where you could. See a company go wrong. I honestly, I have not seen them put a you know put 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 a foot forward that was wrong. They have not brought in you know in 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 uh, in Richard Witt. You're talking. You're not talking about someone who's come off the street, come from a different company. They know full well what he you know how he feels about and how he applies the Markel way. Gotcha. Sam, that reminds me of Constellation Software a bit with the their sort of philosophy and culture as well. Yeah. Now, last question. Markel seems like a very foolproof business, hard to lose money given their uh, margin of safety and all their strategies. Mm-hmm. What could cause Markel to be a poor investment, say, over the next decade? 
Well, I mean, if you think about there, there there's a very famous story uh, that um, that uh, that Warren Buffett tells about a, a about a salesman who wrote a policy in which a company collected about $50,000 in premiums, but that what they were insuring against was asbestos liabilities. And it tanked the entire insurer because, because when you're talking about long tail insurance, there is always this sort of unbound, uh, you know, there, there's a sort of unbound risk, you know, um, surprises in insurance are never good. It's just it just it just doesn't happen that, hey, here's a surprise. It's a whole box of additional money. It doesn't it doesn't really work that way. So it bears remembering that insurance companies can and do either get it wrong in terms of in in terms of assessing risks or that uh, that um, the severity of the outcome of even a well-written policy can you know can can cause grievous harm to to an insurance company now I, I spent a little time at the beginning of of our conversation talking about the modeling of what an insur- you know uh, you know the layers of the insurance business none of it is none of it is a sure thing right it was very harmful to the re- the, the uh, reinsurance companies that the retrocessionaires melted down in 2005 uh, they could write bad policies um I, I just I, I don't want to say I don't I don't see it. I am just willing to give them after after 90 years of what they've done and how they've done it, the benefit of the doubt. Right. It, I guess that like for any insurance company, you could always say like some catastrophic surprise that they didn't see coming. Yeah, you could you you could you could say some catastrophic surprise. But, you know, so for, you, you could. You, you you could even talk about uh, you could even talk about how like you know a car insurer like you know like Progressive for example, what if there is some localized event that suddenly impacts five hundred thousand cars? Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. What if and, and, you know and and they're not properly and 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 they're not properly positioned to handle it. Now, Progressive I think is one of the absolute best in the business, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that that kind of thing is outside of the realm of possibilities for them. And uh, the same is true for Markel. All right, I think that's all the questions we have for listeners that want to keep up with you. Where is the best place to do that? Uh, so uh, probably the best place to keep up with me is you know is at the Motley Fool of course uh, www.fool.com morning um, show right the morning show is uh, is is pretty is pretty 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 good pretty fun um, Twitter I'm TMF Otter and I drop all sorts of scurrilousness and poorly poorly worded thoughts there but uh, you know those are the best places. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. We want to remind our listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Archer Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Bill, for coming on the show. We'll see you guys next time. 